Hi, I'm Judy Frazier, president and founder of We The Kids. We The Kids puts God back into America's history. Listening to We The Kids radio show will inspire you and your kids to have a positive American identity, clear direction, and a powerful purpose for your life. Thank you for listening. Welcome to We The Kids Radio Show for kids from 8 to 108. I am Arch Hunter, a father, a husband, and an historian. And I'm Lydia Nuttall, a mom and executive board member for We The Kids and author of Forgotten American Stories, Celebrating America's Constitution. And later on in the show, we're going to hear from the We The Kids Liberty Players. The mission of We The Kids is to put God back into America's stories to help American kids be proud to be an American, to love and defend America's Constitution, and learn the principles of freedom that establish unprecedented freedom in our country so that they can preserve freedom in America. And that is so important. That's why we're doing this show. So we're glad you're listening. Today's Forgotten American Story, we are going to continue to celebrate Christopher Columbus Day with Christopher Columbus Quiz and Questions. And we'd like to introduce very quickly our guest, Sammy. Sammy, you want to say hello to everyone? Hello, everyone. And Sammy's with (laughs) us and with our wonderful co-host, Lydia. And we're talking about Christopher Columbus and how do we effectively come up with a conclusion of exactly what the truth of a story is or the truth of an individual or a situation. And we've been talking about that as well as and Sammy's been telling us about primary sources and secondary sources and the difference and how we need to continue to accumulate those things. So Lydia, would you like to jump in though first and talk a little bit about Christopher Columbus and why, in your opinion, over the past several years has his reputation been so tainted by so many people in our country? So yeah, we'd shared in one of the previous shows that, first of all, we live in this world where there's always opposition, right? You know, there's push, there's pull, there's hot, there's cold, there's up, there's down, there's always an opposite. And so there are different movements in the world and there's a Christian movement to advocate the cause of Christianity and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there's its opposite where they want to, the opposite people that believe opposite want to take away anything about God, religion, faith, Christianity in particular at least in this country. And so that's why I believe there's been a different story being promoted about Christopher Columbus. And when I started reading quotes, his actual words that have been translated into English 
from his book of prophecies, which is his journal that he kept and was printed in English. First printed in, I forget the, the source, oh, the Presbyterian layman in 1971 quoted many of his excerpts from his own personal journal into English. And so that's what we we're discussing in the previous show, that primary source doc documentation is what he actually wrote in his journal. And when I was reviewing what he was actually saying, I was getting a whole different story, getting a whole different perspective, a whole different side of the man, Christopher Columbus, than the one that I have been hearing promoted as the popular story, if that makes popular sense. Story. Yeah. And, and we're, we remind our listeners, Lydia, that we are all historians, whether we are actually doing study of our history as an occupation, or if we're in another vocation, we're all seeking information and never to rely on simply one source as the epic of truth in any situation or a person. And we need to accumulate these sources together and put as much information together to make a conclusion about a situation. So let's bring in Sammy. Sammy, would you share with our listeners, please, the difference between a primary source and a secondary source and use the example again that you used of the grandmother and the mother? Okay, so let's say your great-grandmother kept a journal, but now she's passed away, and you want to learn about her. So her daughter also wrote some stuff about her. The grandmother's journal and the daughter's journal are two different sources. The grandmother's is primary source, and the daughter's is secondary source. So if you wanted to learn more personal information about the great-grandmother, you go to the primary source. I like that. Yeah, and then it's really cool, though, that you can learn firsthand about your grandmother by reading exactly what she wrote. But you can still learn things about your grandmother from the daughter's perspective mm -hmm. of her mom and what she wrote. So both put together can give you a more well-rounded idea of who your grandmother really, really is and what she was like. Like, yeah, yeah how people thought of her and how she thought of herself. I like that. And, really and listeners, we should never, never stop putting information into something that we particularly believe to be truth. I like that. Always and everything demonstrate humility in coming up or, or reading or studying or looking at primary sources, secondary sources to accumulate information to put into a specific topic that we are drawing a conclusion on in our lives, which again, Lydia, Sammy, that demonstrates a, a, a whole attitude of humility in, I might not be right. And to accumulate the information. And at the same time, if what I believe is truth, it will stand the test of any information that Ooh. I bring into that situation. That I love that. That is really true. And I love your point about having the humility to approach learning different perspectives and different people's beliefs, different perspectives that, that requires humility to recognize and be able to change my own belief based on other information that I learn and gain and glean from other people, other sources. And that's a really good character trait to be open-minded, to, to kind of have that kind of humility, um, mm -hmm. to accept the fact that, Ooh, I may not have understood this completely correct or not at all. <laughs> yes. Or I might be getting information that that's obviously tainted from a, a certain particular bias or 
they might not have all the story themselves, which causes so many more problems as we go through life, and which we have seen as we're talking about, particularly the history of our country and the rearranging of certain stories and historical evidences that we have from our past, and none other, particularly probably no one else other than Christopher Columbus has gotten so much negative information being thrown at the American public in the past few years, which this is what we're talking about. How can we refute these stories or this information that people want to share with the American public that we know simply is not accurate of Christopher Columbus? And Sammy's been doing that as she's asking us questions, and Lydia is giving us quotes from the source, which is Christopher Columbus at the time. So, Sammy, would you like to continue talking about or asking some of the questions about Christopher Columbus and who he was, what he was, and what was his purpose for finding a route to the Indies? Okay, here's my next question. So, we know that Christopher Columbus didn't kill the natives, but then who did? And did Columbus try to do something to prevent that from happening? Arch, do you want to take that one away? Well, when we look at, you know, specifically, why did Columbus, what was his purpose? I mean, you always have to look at what was the purpose of why someone is doing something or what, why is the situation? And what was Columbus's purpose? It wasn't necessarily to discover new lands. It was defining a route to Asia for, for trade. So when he happened to come across San Salvador, which Lydia, you gave us when he named that, what it meant, what was his purpose? Was it to specifically dominate a group of native people, or was it to continue to explore the avenue of trying to get to the Indies, which at first he honestly thought he was there, which obviously he realized he wasn't. So that in itself, I believe, lends us to part of the answer of what was Columbus's purpose in coming and trying to find that route. One of the quotes that I found that he mentioned is, uh, and back to your point about what was his purpose, is Christopher Columbus said, God made me the messenger of the new heaven and new earth of which he spoke in the apocalypse of St. John, Mm -hmm. after having spoken of it through the mouth of Isaiah, and he showed me the spot where to find it. When I was very young, I went to the sea to sail, and I continue to do it today. I have found our Lord very well disposed towards my desire, and I have from him the spirit of intelligence for carrying it out. And the rest of the quote that I just discovered um, says, he, meaning God, bestowed the marine arts upon me in abundance. Marine meaning anything that has anything to do with the sea or uh, things that exist in the sea or produced by the sea. So he said that God bestowed upon him the marine arts in abundance. And then he continues, and that which is necessary to me from astrology, geometry, and drawing spheres and situating upon them the towns, the rivers, mountains, islands, and ports, each in its its proper place. So his interests, even this says his interests had nothing to do with killing other people or dominating other people, but it was for kind of like a spirit of adventure and to put all these loves and passions that he had for the sea, for everything that the sea has in it, and astrology, the study of the stars, geometry, drawing maps. This is what his passion was, and this is what drove part of what drove his purpose. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah. And, but so Sam, part of Sammy's question though is, but but then who did begin to kill natives, and what happened over the period that unfortunately has been labeled on Christopher Columbus as doing this? So I think that question then um, can be answered, Sammy and Art, by what Christopher Columbus wrote to King Ferdinand and Queen Isabel regarding protecting the rights of the indigenous people of the new land. So, so what happened was Columbus made a total of four trips to the quote unquote new world, and then his health gave out. And in one of the sources that I read that talk about his book of prophecies and quote what's in his book of prophecies said that he was disheartened with the greed and lust that were wrecking havoc in the newly discovered land. In 1496, he wrote to the king and queen begging that the same laws existing in Spain be applied to the islands and that all people, including the Indians, have the same justice. He wrote, and this is his quote, his actual words from his book of prophecies, procure for the Indians that are coming under our rule, the same rules and protections as those we have been speaking of here in Spain. These rules are to apply to those in power and those not in power equally. I want them to have the same protection like I have as if they were my own flesh. I love that quote mm-hmm. because it shows there that he was very bothered, very tr- not beyond bothered. Um, if he was begging the king and queen to make sure that Indians had the same protection, the same equal rights as everyone else, including himself, that there were others that were wrecking that havoc in the new land that were totally mistreating and including the killing of and the enslaving of those natives there. He was very bothered by that, that he would actually do something, try to do something, as you alluded to in your question, Sammy, to prevent that from happening by trying to get the king and queen, hey, can you make a rule, a law to protect these people that we've discovered on these new lands? And we see that, unfortunately, what happened to the natives after Christopher Columbus was done out of greed and selfishness of other people. And yet it's been perpetrated upon us in the past few years that it was Columbus who did that, which in actuality, we know from his quotes and what his trips here, it wasn't Christopher Columbus, but it was actually people coming after Christopher Columbus that totally negated what Christopher Columbus's purpose was for sailing, trying to find a a route to India or to Asia. And he even tried, okay, I guess it, it didn't work. His begging the king and queen to do something didn't work in 1496. So in 1497, he pleaded again. And again, I'm quoting, he said, I worry immensely about the future. I do not know what will happen in years to come, but we will discover new lands and we will negotiate in some of them according to the law of Castile, that's Spain. Mm -hmm. And if this is not ruled by a strong hand, then we will lose and rip apart our future and we will lose everything. I'm afraid we will be misunderstood I tell you to do it this way because gold is not everything. So Christopher Columbus wrote a letter to the king and queen wanting them to protect the rights of the indigenous people of the land in the same way his rights were protected. Wow, that is really amazing. Yeah, and it's amazing to read that his own words to the king and queen 
again, that he wanted equal rights for the indigenous people and that he wanted them to be protected like they were his own flesh. That tells me that he must have loved them like his own family. And his own words say that he felt like protecting the rights of the indigenous people was more important than gold. That tells me that protecting the rights of everybody should be more important to me than money. So this leads me to my next question. Was Christopher Columbus a greedy man who wanted to discover a new way to the Indies to get rich? At this point, I'm thinking it doesn't sound like Christopher Columbus to have been greedy. What do you think, Arch? Well, what it brings us again to, if people are looking for wealth, that doesn't make them greedy. It's what they do with that wealth that makes them greedy. What they do with trying to pursue new lands and being a pioneer causes them to be philanthropic with their gains or greedy if they absorb it to themselves at this point. And we can see from Columbus's quotes about what his heart's desire was for these people and what was there. I believe it answers itself was Christopher Columbus just simply being greedy. Or was he actually trying to make a better world for Europe? And then when he discovered the islands, was he trying to make that a better world for those people that were natives of that land? Yeah, because he wanted to spread to them his main mission to me from all these quotes that we've been reading and discussing even in the previous show was he wanted to spread Christianity. He wanted to teach these people about Jesus Christ. So here's another quote that I found that might shed some light more on this subject and answer your question, Sammy. So Columbus actually told Queen Isabel what he needed for the trip and also asked for certain rewards. And I'm going to read part of this from, again, another source Many people have read his book of prophecies and have written about Christopher Columbus and included these. And in one of the books, they wrote that some people point to these rewards that Christopher Columbus asked of from Queen Isabel, that some people point to these rewards as evidence that Columbus sought only glory and wealth. However, Columbus was to be granted the rewards only if he discovered something of value that was approved by the king and queen. Columbus wrote, and here they're quoting from his book of prophecies, what Columbus said, quote, I want it understood that I will not put prices high or low to valuables or land that I discover. I have the authority from your Royal Highness to decide or not to decide, but only under your authorization. So many people in the court of the king and queen did not believe Columbus's theory. I think this is interesting. They didn't believe his theory that he could find the Indies by selling West, Mm -hmm. but they still felt that Columbus was greedily asking for what they called tithes and tents, which were the rewards that Columbus had requested. And I'm assuming the ties or the titles and tents, the tents, meaning he was saying, hey, if I do happen to find something king and queen of Spain, I would like a 10th of that, you know, mm-hmm. for all my efforts. Um, so ironically, those in the King and Queen's court who felt Christopher Columbus was being greedy and asking for titles and tents were the same people who believe there was nothing on the other side of the world to be found. That's interesting. It sounds to me that he was not greedy, but that if he discovered land or more wealth, that he would work out the price only with the authorization of the queen. I have one more question. Was Christopher Columbus a slave trader? I mean, it doesn't sound to me that he could have been a slave trader, but some people say that he was. 
Well, again, Sammy, we have to go back and look at the motivation of Christopher Columbus. One, he and his brother were not slave owners. They were map makers. Two, what was their motivation? To find a direct route to Asia, not slave trade. Three, they had no idea that there was these islands out there, which we now know as in the Caribbean. So the idea that that was not a part of Christopher Columbus's mind of finding a new land, which they didn't know was even here, to be a slave trader on. Because they didn't even know who these people were. It makes no logical sense when people say, well, Columbus was a slave trader. Well, what was he trading? And who was he going to trade when he himself wasn't a slave owner or his brother? And their motivation was to find a route to Asia, not to dominate people. And they didn't even know that there was anybody here. And and I think it's interesting that back to how you mentioned Arch, that he and his brother, Bartolomeo, that's kind of fun fun name. Bartolomeo, come in for dinner, please. But they were map makers. And how we know this is reading about Christopher Columbus's life and especially how he met his wife. And there's a story there that tells me again, reiterates that he really was a map maker, not a slave trader, that his ships usually sailed from Portugal. And so Columbus made his home there and worked as a map maker. And this is how he met his wife. So hang with me that the story does end up with map making, but he met his wife when he was attending mass there. Mass is what the Catholics call their meetings, their worship meetings. And that's where he met, he said, a religious lady of minor nobility. And her name was Donna Felipa Moniz Perestrello whom he later married, and Columbus's deceased father-in-law, so that would be his wife's dad, had been the governor of an island that belonged to Portugal. It was an island situated near the edge of the known parts of the Western Ocean. And I found out that that island was Santo Porto. Santo Porto. And I Google search, where the heck is Santo Porto? And when you look at it, you know how Google drops in the pin where Mm -hmm. your place is? It's like in the middle of the ocean off the coast of Morocco which is the top part of the African continent. it's like, there's no landmass there. So it's just like Google randomly dropped a pin in the middle of the ocean. It's so tiny. But anyway, that's where the young couple moved in with Philippa's widowed mother. And Philippa's mother saw the interest that Columbus had in the maps that her husband, who had been a sea captain, and he had a great collection of maps. And so Philippa's mom gave to Christopher Columbus these wonderful maps that her husband had collected over the years as a sea captain. And so you can imagine how excited Christopher Columbus was to receive these maps, and it strengthened his conviction of a Western route to the Indies or to to Asia. So that's another clue that shows us Mm -hmm. where his interests were, were, were maps and finding this Western route to the Indies. And you know, something that's really fascinating. Okay. This is like maybe a little bit off the track, Sammy. Can you share something that's really fascinating, please? I would love to. So one of the things that I, when I was researching and reading all this, it was really cool that when his wife moved to that Island of Santo Porto, 
he learned that there were strange items that had been washed upon the shores of the local beaches. And what had washed ashore were carved pieces of wood, unlike any that were found in Europe. And then one of the sources said there were huge hollowed out carved pine tree trunks, which he, meaning Columbus, would later discover were made by Indians and called canoes. And then most significant, the bodies of two dead men that washed up on the shore and their features differed from those of the known races then known to the world in Columbus's day. And back then, what that means is the known world known to Columbus's day extended north to Iceland. Iceland and Scandinavia, south to a cape 100 miles south of the equator, to east as far as China, Japan, and to the west as far as the Azores. That was their known world. So they found the bodies of two men washed ashore that didn't really look like anybody in their world. Um, they found what we know as canoes and wood carvings too. And so this stimulated his beliefs, his resolve that there were other people out there in this world that he really wanted to share the gospel of Christ with. Well, Lydia, we want to thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. I'm sure Sammy enjoyed it. Did you see? Um, I think our listeners are going to need one of Columbus's maps to figure out where you were taking us with that, but it's an important point. So Sammy, before we go, we'd like to remind you and all of us and all of our listeners to continue to seek the truth. Look at the primary sources, secondary sources, never, ever stop learning from any situation that you might already think you have all the knowledge about so we can continue to stand on truth because truth never changes. And Arch, you have to at least share the final quote before yes. we go. There you go. It was, and I can't do it in Spanish or Latin because I can't read it, but I'll give it to you. Okay. So what if I do it in Latin, even though I don't know Latin, but maybe I'll slaughter it less than okay. you, and then you, you can give that. the translation. Okay. So Christopher Columbus's dying words were, in manos tuas domine, commendo spiritum mium, which translated means, into thy hands, Lord, I commit my spirit. And Sammy, who else said that? It was Jesus Christ. Yes, correct. You're right, Tammy. So so again, thank you, Sammy, for joining us and asking us some questions and emphasizing again the importance of seeking primary and secondary sources to information and to stand up for exactly who this particular person, Christopher Columbus, and sharing Christopher Columbus Day with us. Thank you for coming. And thank you so much for answering all my questions. You're more than welcome, Sammy. And we want to thank Lydia for showing, going us down the Christopher Columbus map, one of her stories. Yeah. So we'd like to invite every one of you from age eight to 108 to ponder this this week. Did listening to actual words written by Christopher Columbus affect your previous beliefs about Columbus? The next time we hear things about others and we cannot tell if what we have heard is true or not, how could going to primary and secondary sources help us? So we want to wish everyone a happy Columbus Day. And we invite you to share what you learned today on the We The Kids radio show from me and Sammy and Arch with your kids and your grandkids and your friends and your neighbors. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hey, kids. Go to wethekids.us and watch the Constitution for Kids videos. If you would like to be a We The Kids Liberty Player, let us know. You can contact us at wethekidsteam at gmail.com.
We want to invite everyone from 8 to 108 to listen and please join us on We The Kids radio show and to hear more forgotten stories. Learn the principles of freedom that established unprecedented freedom in America so that we can all, whether we're 8 or 108, preserve our freedom. 